Hey everyone, thanks for joining this episode of Soundbites for business, innovation, technology, entrepreneurship, and strategy. Today we got a really great guest with us today. It's uh, Clyde Otten, one of my friends that we met over in Germany buying cars of all places, but he's an entrepreneur, startup guy. He's created a couple different interesting ventures from the gaming space to the automotive space. Uh, what is he, a gamer, streamer, YouTuber, uh, epic car guy, uh, mentor with the Math, Engineering, Science, and Achievement Group. Um, basically, you're uh, you're Jason Bourne without the violence and amnesia, right? <laughs> and now you're an account executive at a SaaS startup for a talent management platform called Gem. So, Clyde, man, thanks for joining us. I love that intro. I love that intro. I don't know if I can live up to all of that, but I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's great to be here. Great to catch up with both of you. And um, yeah, looking forward to this. Gosh, I feel like no. this conversation can go so many ways with with your background. And I'm, I'm curious to see where Derek's going to start this because you're into like seven different things that Derek is also into. So we'll see, see where this goes. The, the problem with these are they're always trying to keep these concise and not going for four or five hours. But wow, we'll try and keep it tight. So let's start about with about how you got to where you are now. So like, what was your path to get to your current role? Yeah. And so I think for myself, as you mentioned, all these different things, uh, everything started really early on for me. When I was young, I was exposed to a lot of different backgrounds, uh, or a lot of different places, a lot of different environments. Um, so I was born in France. Um, I lived in France until I was five years old. And then at five years old, we moved to New York with my dad. And I lived in New York for a couple of years. And then from there, I moved to L.A. So while still in the U.S., it's like polar opposite mm. uh, living spots. And then we moved back to France. And then when I lived in France, it's not like I just went straight to Paris. I actually had a chance to kind of live uh, like near Switzerland for a while. So there I was just, you know, kind of like a ski kid. Um, and then from there I did eventually move back to Paris and then from Paris I moved back to Oakland. And so that's kind of, I, I grew up with this kind of diverse, uh, like environment set. And I think that's affected everything that I look at in the world. I think it's, it, it plays a big advantage, um, that I can kind of see things through a different lens. Um, but that's kind of transitioned onto how I've become such of like, uh, like a bowling ball and going a bunch of different places um, and why I have so many different interests. Um, more recently, kind of how I ended up in my position right now through Gem um, was through my startup, which, I mean, you were a big advisor for. Um, at the time, I was working on a platform to help gamers find other teammates to find, uh, find other teammates to play games online called Gamers Grid. Um, and that really stood out from kind of my love of video games. I would say I've always loved video games, uh, for as far as I can remember. And, um, so I put a lot of effort into that and eventually things didn't really pan out the way I wanted them to, but I know that I still wanted to work in technology. And, uh, initially I didn't know that like sales would be the thing that I would move into, um, uh, Obviously, I mean, you know, you mentioned the cars with sales, there's a lot of opportunities to make good money. And so that was obviously a drawing factor. Um, but I just felt like sales would be skills that I could take anywhere I go. And, um, you know, when being the CEO of a startup, you know, one of the biggest hurdles is fundraising. And all you're doing in fundraising is just sales, just trying to sell stock of your company. And you're really just selling a dream. 
Um, and so I figured that would come in handy if the time ever comes that, you know, I wanted to start another company or join another company at a really early stage. And with the, with the sales aspect of it, like a big common thread from where you started to how you got to where you are, it's like experiencing different cultures, building relationships, understanding people with different backgrounds and any component of sales, you're touching all of those, right? You have to be able to work with all kinds of different people, understand their needs, understand and listen to what they're trying to achieve, and then find a way to deliver a solution, right? So it really fits in with kind of your whole background and ethos. Yeah, yeah, I think the it kind of comes down to like knowing your your customer. And that's also a big thing that, that I learned from, from, you know, working on a startup um it's just like you have to know your customer you have to talk to your customer that's like one of the most important things is talking to your customer and kind of knowing what they're going through sure so with this with this new sales role what surprised you you know you didn't expect to be in sales you know when you walked in were you like okay i'm a people person i can make this happen what what sort of challenges or surprises kind of hit you your first few months in uh, where do I start? <laughs> well, first there was the pandemic. Only everything, uh, right? I, I joined like literally. I I joined like right before the pandemic hit. I think it was like February seventeenth or something like that. And um, right before, like, and and then the pandemic hit, and I was really scared because before that, I was I was going through hard times. Like this was. Like right after my startup had failed, like I was living off of credit cards. Um, and so getting that job was like, you know, like a breath of fresh air. And so the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, my God, like, here we go again, you know. Uh, but they luckily enough, the company was in a good spot and then I was able to stay on board. Um, and then eventually we were able to get through that. I think the big biggest challenge with, with sales really is just, you know, the. I would say like the seasonality of it or not the seasonality, but how up and down things can be. You can get some quick wins where just like two days close a big deal, but then you can grind out and you can spend like, you know, months working on a deal and then people just like, just don't respond at all. And so dealing with, dealing with that is, is definitely uh, a mental, mental challenge for sure. How do you stay motivated during those kind of, valleys where you're like are they gonna respond are they gonna are they gonna ghost me <laughs> yeah well, it's tough it's tough that's like that's an ongoing thing uh i think for me i i tend to fall back in that like in times of uncertainty i try to like take like confusion and sadness into like you know kind of power more to so move it to like you know being more competitive uh they're like hey like if this one doesn't work there's plenty more fish out there you know like there's somebody else out there that's going to need this. And so it's important that I redirect my energy into something that's actually going to pan out and not just get stuck into one thing. And I think that works for sales and also works for everything in life. If something's not working, uh, you got to cut your loss. I think it's like um, sunk cost fallacy is like the, the word for it. Like you got to avoid that at all, at all costs, really. And with sales and entrepreneurship, uh, you have that. That oh man, I just completely lost my my train of thought. <laughs> but no, but with the sales and entrepreneurship in general, you end up having a lot of rejection, right? And so you have to just be able to accept it, learn from it, see like is there anything I can do to impact this? And if not, what can I move to next? 
what opportunity is there next? And especially in sales, right? Like when, when the stakes are really, really high, it's like, oh man, I need this, but there's probably 10 more things behind it that you can grab yeah. as long as you don't do the sunk cost thing. I put all this time and effort into this thing. I need to make it work. Um, well, you don't necessarily need to make that thing work. You can move to something else. You can have a different solution and keep rolling. Yeah. It's funny. You just brought back memories of, uh, when uh, pitching VCs and meeting VCs and just getting that rejection, that was tough. It's because you you expect, like, I'm very good at being kind of uh, looking at things in a third-person lens, um, but l kind of meeting with VCs and hearing no to your startup, just like, nah, eh, I don't think it's going to work. Uh, that was, that was always hard. That, that was probably like one of, one of, I mean, there's a lot of tough things that went on, but that was always just super tough because it would be like, what? Like I put, you know, four years of my life into this, my team and I put, you know, so many hours into this. And you mean to tell me that I'm just like, eh, nah, 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 you know. Just like very flippant sort of response to, to your passion. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Something you put blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like you, I think we see a lot of stuff. If you go on LinkedIn, you're like, oh, hustle porn is so, is so cool right now. Everyone's just like, oh, you got to work 24 hours a day, like no sleep. And like we talk, and then there's like the VC funds and all of the rounds. And, you know, you, you hear about all of these like big, like billion dollar rounds that people are capturing. And that's fantastic. But I think the other side of it is sort of what you experience where it's like, it doesn't always work out or the timing's not right. And then, yeah. you know, you kind of have to figure out your next step and you talk about being scared. So I think it's important to talk about that if, you, if you're if you comfortable talking about it, because I think there are a lot of folks who start businesses. Derek and I started a business and it's terrifying. And you don't really, that's not really discussed as openly on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, we were sure. Yeah. We were talking the other day about this very fact. And it's like in a, in any given day, like in any given hour, it's like you have these huge victories of emotion where you're like, I'm Elon fucking Musk. Mm -hmm. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, nope, I'm Elizabeth Holmes. Like, you know, <laughs> and you live that cycle back and forth, yeah. back and forth until like, you know, 1130 midnight. And it's it's terrifying. It's like, is this going to work? Am I going to be able to pay for my car? Am I going to be able to eat? Like, what yeah. am I, I going to do? And I think yeah. that's not that's never talked about online. It's always like, I'm crushing it. I'm a, I have a CEO business card and I'm, I'm killing it. It's, probably not the case yeah yeah they, there used to be a conference called FailCon. um i don't know why they got rid of it but i thought the concept of that was just so awesome because it's like nah let, let's talk about stuff that didn't work out you know there's a lot to learn there uh probably more to learn from losses than you you can learn from wins um and so yeah i wish it was more open like that but then I don't know. It's kind of the stigma, right? Everybody wants to look good on LinkedIn. You don't want to be the one that's like kind of pouting. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Yeah, how, did, how did you get through it? How did you sort of like get out of, you know, the depths of like, oh crap, okay, maybe now's not the right time for Gamers Grid. Now I got to figure out my next thing. I'm sure there were some lows there, right? Yeah, yeah. So things were kind of crumbling um, mm. for, for Games Grid. And I remember the, like, the one big strike was uh, losing my co-founder, who actually Derek mm. introduced me to. And, uh, you know, things weren't working out. So he went and got a job. And he let me know, like, after he got a job that, like, hey, even if we get funding, like, I don't think I want to quit my full-time job to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just too stressful. It's just too much. And, like, I mean, fair thing, you know, he told me ahead of time. He didn't wait until I got funding to tell me that. 
Um, but that was a big strike. Um, and then like I met some other people and I was thinking, you know, oh, maybe, you know, I can persevere through because you always hear those stories that like, you know, never give up, you know what I mean? Um, but then that just came one point. I remember I, I was just like, I just went for a walk and I was just like, I don't know. I'm just not in love with it anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, you know, it seems like everything's falling apart and like, I really didn't want to be a loser. I didn't want to be a quitter. Um, but it's just, it's just like, it it felt like it was just, it's just in too low of a stage. And by that point, I also kind of seen, you really took a look at the market. And if you look like consumer, um, kind of tech platforms or, or tech apps, or just aren't really getting that much traction anymore. People don't download apps the way they used to. And mm-hmm. for a platform to keep going, actually, I had a VC. So most of the times when VCs tell you no and they just walk away, it sucks. But when you have VCs that are like, look, this is why we're not investing in you. Like, you know, you're hustling, but here's XYZ. Like the consumer space, we really don't invest in consumer space anymore because you just have to go viral and viral and viral. And then you're going to be chasing your customer acquisition costs um you know what i mean and and just and so kind of hearing it that way and really redoing the math inside of my head i was like whoa like this is a big economic challenge to ever become profitable and so i had that and then also i just had my own personal burn rate i was like all right you got four months left until you can't pay the rent anymore so (laughs) what you gonna do um and so i kind of thought about it i was like you know what it's time to move on to move the page i learned so much especially in that time when i was working on it full time that, like I felt that I can really take that into my next job, kind of, which is what I'm doing now. But also, if I were to start things over again, I feel like I would be in a much, much better position than I was when I was working on Gamers Grid. So you learned a ton. You got a lot of great experience. You ended up pitching with VCs. You ended up building a software development team. So you touched every part of that value chain. You had some really nice wins. You had some defeats, some emotional stuff going on. And then you got to the point where you got this role at Gem, which is another startup really, mm-hmm. that's doing some really interesting things in a really interesting space. So hit us with that. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So it was um, it was pretty interesting how I kind of started working at Gem. So when I left Gamers Grid, my first kind of thing is that I wanted to be a product manager uh, because I always heard that, you know, product managers are kind of like founders within companies. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's similar to kind of what I'm doing now. Like, let's try and do that. Um, and so I applied for a couple roles and then I, as I was kind of, you know, preparing for interviews and stuff like that, I felt like I wasn't really sticking to that role. Um, and maybe the timing just, just wasn't right. Um, and so that's when I kind of decided to make the the turn to sales. Um, and so I ended up with gem. I, it's funny because I actually, I had three offers. I had an offer, uh, with gem, I had an offer with a company, uh, named, uh, captivate IQ, which is still around and actually doing really well. And I had another company, another offer with a company named castle. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the big thing with gem for me really is, uh, they, the moment I walked into the office, it seemed like they're one of those places that care about their employees. And that kind of went a long way for me because I know how tough it can be in the startup world. And so I need to work with people that are, you know, just going to have my back through, through thick and thin, thick and thin. Um, and a lot of that goes to the kind of their, um, their value of diversity. And so that we have a lot of people at the company that come from diverse backgrounds. And that's something that like I can identify with, um, and especially in a startup world, that's pretty rare. It was even more rare before, you know, everything ha- that happened in 2020. Um, 
but that goes a long way. And I think the product is is really stellar. And I think that like overall the vision of the company, right? That's like the big thing with Star as a division. I feel like that's something um, that's that's going to be killer. No, that's awesome. And going back to you know people really caring about their employees is super important, especially during this great resignation, right? Like people can work from anywhere for anything. And they want to be aligned with people that care about their well-being, that care about their end customers' goals, and are going to look as more of a team versus is this person going to hustle 24-7 to try and climb that ladder and get a good performance review? That's a piece of it, sure. But you need to like the people that you work with. You need to have common aligned goals. And people with different life experiences can look and solve problems in different ways. So that's a really important part of building a good team culture. And I think like um, you put me in touch with that. Uh, math, engineering, science, and achievement group. And it's like, really, how do you get people that never thought that these were options to get into tech world to get them into tech and get their ideas and voices into tech? And I think it's super important. Yeah, you know, so little kind of while you're in college, like when I was in college, like I was a senior in college and they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know, financial analyst sounds cool. Like I like, I like stocks and I know Tesla, you know what I mean? It was like no idea, right? Like they don't tell you that, you know, you can be, um, you know, you could be a product operations like analyst or that, you know, you can you, you can be an account executive, for example, like you really mm-hmm. get so little exposure to that. And that's like one of those things that I wanted um, and I do still want to do, especially we have an ERG at Gem called the Obsidian, which is kind of like the Black Gems ERG. Um, and I want to just kind of, I want the ability to kind of go to high schools and be like, hey, look, you can get into tech. You don't have to be an engineer to work in tech and there's a lot of values that come into take like the stuff that you know the freedoms that you get like it goes a long way like my fiance she's a vet tech right she can't work remote she doesn't get you know unlimited pto mm-hmm. and things like that um and it, it goes it goes a long way and a lot more people could be getting into the field I think it's interesting. I, I have a few friends who work in HR at tech companies or in brand development at tech companies mm-hmm. or employer brand. And they always struggle fill, finding diverse you know, people, whether from diverse backgrounds or even like women in tech, they have a hard time filling those roles because it is such, such a male dominated industry. And so that's really what they're focused on is like talking to kids in middle school and high school. So you can actually introduce them to tech to your point young to be like, you can be this thing. Like this is an actual job that exists and you don't have to be like a huge lover of math and science. I mean, it doesn't hurt from an engineering perspective, but Mm -hmm. you can work in marketing at a tech company and have a, have a big impact Yeah, in sales and be, and have a big impact. But if you don't know that it's an option, um, until it's, you know, I, I don't want to say too late. It just gets harder the older you get. Yeah. And if you're a company looking for someone, uh, a director role, someone in their 30s, uh, a manager role, someone in their late 20s, early 30s, and you want one of those roles, but that person never got into that space in middle school, high school, college, the population to pull from doesn't exist. Exactly. So, so like getting back to like, to your point, getting back to those high schools, getting back to college, telling people what paths are available. And we talk about it in, in our AI stuff a lot. It's like, you got to create awareness first. And then once you create awareness, you can create, you know, you can create access, access to the tools, access to whatever, and then you can create action. But you have to go in that order. Like if someone's not aware that that's an option, then they don't have access to the ability to use that option. 
then they can't take option on that op- option. So you got to start back in the awareness yeah. phase, just like any marketing funnel, any good marketing. Funnel. Exactly. Yeah. And it starts early. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I agree. It, it does start super early. Um, I still remember when I was in high school, I think we had somebody, I think she worked at like Coors Light in marketing or something like that. And she gave a presentation and I like that stuck with me because I was, mm-hmm. this is a real job. Like, you know, I'm over here learning about, you know, kind of trivial things in high school. Right. Um, not sure how it applies to the, to the professional world, but I was like, oh, okay, like that's a real job. That's something that I can do. And these are kind of the parameters to get there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. It goes a long way. Really cool. So work and then the space you guys are working in right now is fascinating because I think some of the fastest growing spaces are uh, talent management, HR, brand. Lauren, I mentioned a couple of our friends are in that space that's really been created in the last like five years. Like HR is no longer the department you go to if you did something silly or stupid or you're in trouble. <laughs> it's really about like, you know, they're, they're the stewards of your of your company culture and brand. And your talent management, and you guys work towards building that recruiting and talent management platform, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so that's kind of like where we want to be. We want to be that talent engagement platform. So we want to be kind of that gap between, um, you know, your company and wherever your candidates are. So whether that be to hire people right away, you got to roll your look in the field. You need to, you know, get some people in the house right away, um, or you want to engage with people. Kind of like, um, you know, if you have. A, you know, like university recruiting that you're doing and you want to keep them up to date and kind of send newsletters so that as those people, you know, kind of progress along, they're they're staying in touch with kind of your career opportunities. Or, you know, if you're really trying to debug your hiring funnel, if you're trying to figure out, you know, why some roles or some hiring managers having a harder time, you know, filling in certain recs or they're taking so long to pass people through the hoops and things like that. Um, we're just trying to cover all of that ground. Yeah, makes sense. What are you hearing from uh, companies who you're trying to work with? Like, uh, how's the climate right now? We talk a lot about the great resignation. You know, how how, is that helping, you know, selling your tool? Is that making it easier or is it making it more challenging? I mean, I think it's definitely helping because companies are realizing that like, whoa, we are competing for talent. Um, I think I remember talking to this lady that works at uh, Canon, the the camera company. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that, like, yeah, we would get, you know, thousands of inbounds applicant, like maybe let's say 5,000 inbound applicants in like a quarter or something like that or in a month. And that number then dwindled out to like maybe 500. And then so now it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, we can't just sit back and just wait for people to come to us. Even if we have like a really cool brand name, people aren't just going to, you know, come out like now you have to actively go out and reach out to that talent. If you're not reaching out to talent yourself, you're just you're just playing behind. And if you're not nurturing talent, then you're also playing behind. So you have these top recruiting teams um, that are going to have the best hire rate, that are going to have the best response rates. And so if you're kind of coming into the space, you have to figure out, you know, how to hit those KPIs. And if you're not hitting those KPIs, how to improve on those KPIs. Um, it's funny because like now we're at a point where it's actually harder to hire recruiters than it is to hire engineers. Like that's how serious things have gotten. Hmm. And that's not that maps. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy when you think about it, because it's like, traditionally you think, you know, you build a great company and to get the best products and best services, you have really good marketing teams. You have really good product teams to get that feedback in, to get it into the product management team and get it developed and then push out a new thing. But even to get to that space now, 
the whole HR department is turning into a marketing engine where you're touching leads, you're building a brand, you're nurturing those leads through a funnel to get the best talent into the company and then developing and continuing to push that talent up to be able to get those great products and services. And the companies that are doing that front part really, really well are the ones that are winning. And everyone who's like, oh, we're just a great company that builds good products. Uh, they're slowly starting to tail off. I think like a good example of that is what you're seeing at Facebook right now, <laughs> right? It's, you know, like there's a huge exodus of talent from Facebook to new people, new places where people are doing this. They're really focusing on their resources. They're focusing on their recruiting and they're treating it like a campaign, not, you know, the field of dreams. You know, if you build it, people will come. That's not happening anymore. Yeah. It's kind of a fascinating shift. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you, you just have to be out there. You, you can't just wait for people to come to you. And, um, I mean, recruiters are kind of like mini marketers, just kind of like salespeople in the same way are mini marketers because we're kind of carrying that brand message. Um, but as a recruiter, you know, you're, you're tracking your, oh, your click rates and your open rates, just like a marketer with the on air newsletters, you know? Uh, and so, I mean, you see like a lot of companies now kind of have like their Instagrams about life at, you know, company name or, you know, their Twitter about, you know, what it's like to work here. Um, and yeah. they're not even pushing their product, right? Right, they're not even exactly. marketing their product. Yeah. Like I have a few friends that work at, um, at Jira and Trello and you look at their, their Instagram accounts and it has nothing to do really with selling their products or services. It's the lifestyle of being there yeah. and what the people behind the scenes are doing. And it creates this level of engagement where it's like, yeah, I want to, I want to be on that team. That looks like it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or be like, Oh, like, yeah, that's somebody, you know, I can get along with, you know, like, uh, I mean, same with LinkedIn. It's kind of, you know, like now you get a new employee, you got to shout them out on LinkedIn. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You got to have like a cool, like picture with the background, even the hiring manager yeah. shout out. Because, I mean, if you don't have that, then, like, eh, I don't really want to work. Did it even happen? Exactly. <laughs> so it's, everything is going super data-driven in this industry now. Yeah. Um, are you, and you're clearly experiencing that. You saw that with Gamers Grid. You see that with what you're doing now. Um, you have a bunch of key performance indicators. Is your engine really, like, AI-driven, or is it just basic simple metrics at this point? So it's simple metrics at this point. I think at the point in time... Uh, there will be a point in time where it's going to be a lot more AI driven. There's little things that we do here and there that are kind of, you know, like, um, uh, what's the word kind of when you're like reading text or something like that. Oh yeah. Out, like, somebody's... Optical character recognition. Exactly. Yeah. Processing. So we're, we're word doing... devec are the keywords. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we are doing things like that. Um, it, I think it's like AI will kind of come in in spots where it's easy. Like we would make the job as easy as possible for AI. Uh, because right now recruiting is so nuanced that as a whole, we still believe that recruiters are best suited um, to know their talent. There's a good book. <clears throat> Usually we do this at the end, but I think you might really enjoy it called The Alignment Problem. In mm -hmm. The Alignment Problem, like I just read through it, it really fascinating and it talks about this and like and we do do a lot of this. And one of the concepts that stuck with me uh, is called hearing the shoes. And I'll get to that in a second. But basically, it's like um, when you're auditioning for a new chair in um, in an orchestra or, you know, like New York Philharmonic or something like that, they would put people behind a screen so you couldn't see who it was. So it was, a, a, you know, a blind audition for that spot or that chair. But then what they learned is people could hear the shoes. So like walking to that spot and then you'd know effectively who it was. So like your own mental bias would kick in of who that person was. Like the if screen. a woman was wearing high heel, yeah. like more likely to wear high heels than obviously. Yeah. And 
And so you'd know who it was. Right. So AI, here's the shoes, right? So if you put 10 resumes through, even if you strip the names, there'll be something in that resume that lets the AI make a cluster and hear the shoes. Yeah. Right? Pretty, and then you strip that thing out and it'll find it again. Yeah. So it's like, like Amazon is a good example in the book and they talk about their recruiting practices. If they start pushing who their successful employees are now and take those attributes and then try to search for them, Interesting. you might hear the shoes and it's like, we're going to get people if you use that, you'll get people who were successful here 10 years ago, not people who will be successful 10 years from now. So it's a tough thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. It really is. And it's a really tough problem. It's like, because then you're in this interesting position of, do you want to build things as is the way they are today? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to build models that will build for the future? And that's, it's tricky. And it's like, how do you do that with a computer? Whereas a human, we're really good at it. We can do it pretty naturally. Interesting. Do those selections where it's tough with a um, top of computation, but yeah, man, that, that's fascinating. I'm glad that you're working on some really cool stuff. Um, I'm glad that you're enjoying your sales role. And what do you think you want to do for the next couple of years? Continue to develop in sales, continue to develop your, your skill set. What other plans are you thinking through? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that somewhat recently. Um, I think definitely I, I want to continue the sales thing for a little bit longer um, just so I can really fully see, uh, what it's like, I, like get a full sample size as to kind of what it's like. I think in the long run, like five, 10 years, I don't see myself being, you know, at least as uh, as an account executive in sales um, for that long, um, like definitely not 10 years. Um, and so the other path kind of goes into, you know, kind of some type of management aspect um, within a company. Um, and so I think that's will, will be somewhat of a natural path. Um, but the other thing that, you know, that still interests me is just, you know, working on, you know, on side projects. That's something that always kind of gets me going. And so whether that like be my own side project or even just like a brand new startup, like I always hear about stuff, especially, you know, like since I work kind of in, um, with smaller companies, I always hear about new companies. I'm like, oh man, that's dope. Like, you know, like I wouldn't mind working on that, you know? Um, yeah. and so I think in general, I'll kind of stay within the tech, the tech space. I think that's kind of a given, uh, tech or technology, unless I could just, you know, get really rich and just race cars all day. <laughs> Speaking so- of, so when you're, when you're not working, I know you and Derek met sort of by picking up cars. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what do you, what interests you about cars? Why are you guys so obsessed with it? What's your deal? So I have, I remember like there was this thing, I think it was like a meme or something like that, but it was like, or if you look up like the date of somebody's death or something, then that's like who you were in a past life. Some like really, really cheesy like thing like that. And I looked it up and it was like a fighter pilot. And I was like, yo, this is real. Like I am pretty sure (laughs) in my past life, I was a fighter pilot when I was little, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot. And so my obsession with cars kind of stems from that, that I always just look at cars as kind of like an extension of your body, an extension of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just, you know, it's something that like really gets me going. Like nothing gets me going, like, you know, just driving a car like on a back road with the windows down and just kind of hearing the exhaust crackle and and find kind of feeling that connection to the road, like moving that weight around. Um, so that's, that's something that's always, uh, gonna be with me. And yeah, I mean, it's always funny whenever I tell people like, oh yeah, how do you know Derek? I'm like, yeah, we were in Germany picking up Beamers. 
Yeah. yeah, it's like, no. it's a fun story. So and I think like, when you look on paper, I've probably been to more countries with you than almost anyone else. I think like Jarrell, uh, I think is probably the person I've been to the most countries with out of anyone I know. And that's saying a lot, right? Yeah. But we, we had a couple really fun trips where we went to, where we were in Germany, Switzerland, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, uh, then you you, you uh, didn't go to you didn't go to Italy with us, but no, yeah. yeah, ended up doing the Italy trip. But no, it was, that's super awesome. And one of your side hustles has been building parts catalogs for for the super platform, right? Yeah, that's- yeah. So I was kind of I was doing that for a little bit, um, just because. So the big thing with cars is I feel it's it's not super approachable if you're coming from the outside. And I always have friends that come up to me and they're like, hey, like. I want a Supra. Like, can I get, you know, a thousand horsepower and this on that? Is it going to be faster than a Lambo? You know, and just like all that, you know, the knowledge in general with cars is kind of like, it's kind of tribal knowledge. Like it's passed down. Yeah. Somebody wrote a post on a forum. Uh, nobody's really like validating. You might have one like forum longtime member that's validating it. That's going to say like, oh yeah, this is the truth here. And so yeah. the idea was to kind of build a source of truth. And so, to have just like one big catalog or kind of like a wiki so that you were like, okay, I want an exhaust for my M3. Uh, what are the options? What are the ratings for these, for these different options? Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of how I put it together. I put it together in Airtable, which like in retrospect probably wasn't the best idea, but it allowed me to kind of uh, like wind up a prototype. So that, that was good fun. That's awesome. And like, yeah, doing it like an Airtable or Monday is always a good start because it may not be perfect, but it doesn't matter because you can get that feedback really, really quickly, see what works, see what's effective without spending the time and development effort. But no, to that point, like uh, the racetrack people, this is where this is going to get even more unapproachable, but the racetrack people, it's all institutional knowledge. Like until you get to a track, then you thought, oh, everyone running this car uses these brake pads and then these brake discs. And then this is the main problem to have. Yeah. And then when you get fast, this breaks. And like, yeah. but you just don't, there's nowhere just to go read that and collect that because the answer is always like, how much does it cost? It depends. How much does it yeah. cost? Nobody knows. Nobody, you know why? Yeah. Because people are scared to do the math. <laughs> yeah. They don't want to know. Yeah. So you and I have had this talk out, about like, doing that math. Uh, and it's brutal, man. It's ugly. Like, and then the, I think you posted the other day, you had some car parts show up to the house and <laughs> your girl picked them up instead of you yeah. raises some questions. I've been waiting all day, all day for FedEx. <laughs> and the moment I go to the gym, I get this picture message like, what are these boxes? What is this H&R in your jury? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't worry about it. Yeah. They're gifts for you. Right. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Yeah. You know, to be a car enthusiast when your bank account's sitting on the line. I brought my brother to the racetrack a couple like two weeks ago and now like uh he booked a, a track day he's got a 335 nice and he starts going down the rabbit hole and he's like oh what tires do i need or what brakes do i need let's see you start doing the math yeah. and it's just like yeah buckle up yeah. man you're gonna have a rough, exactly. a rough couple years and there's also like a level of prerequisites too that's like one of the things that i know is there's things you should do before you do other things um yeah. And then, you know, like you look at parts and then you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then it's like, well, you got to install those parts. Like springs are a perfect example. Springs cost like what? 200, 200 bucks with yeah. shipping and tax. It costs $600 to get your springs installed. And that's a good deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, oh, no. you know. And then you need to get it aligned, exactly. right? The you car's got to be aligned. Exactly. You need to get an alignment afterwards. And so. And Don't then, you guys feel like this is like an opportunity? Like there's so much tribal knowledge to your point. Like. Can't we build a tool? Can't we build something to make it more approachable for 
people who are interested in it, but they don't know where to start. It could be something. Yeah. So the kind of some of the challenges that I that I saw as I was kind of starting to prototype this out is that one, you need uh, whatever you build. First of all, it has to be community built. You can't just like, mm-hmm. like I started because I just spent one night just putting a bunch of stuff in here in this database. Mm-hmm. Um it needs to be community built. And so when you say community built, you need to have a validation system in place. So you got to make sure you can't have a vendor that comes in and, you know, just puts in whatever, sure. um, or, or somebody puts in stuff that's going to be inaccurate. Um, so it has to be community built. So you need to have a community of people that are going to add to this database. Um, the second thing is that you need a platform to really kind of get it out there and get a lot of adoption. Like you need to become the standard that people go to when they have questions about, you know, kind of this info. And so there, that's also, you know, one of those places, like, how do you go viral in that aspect? Because you don't want to just be spending dollars on ads, right? Like that's right. going to get you nowhere. Um, and so that's another big thing. You have to become really that source of truth that everybody is going to go to. And then once you kind of figure that out, things are going to start to pop up and really start to kind of generate itself. Um, as far as kind of, you know, how you would bring in revenue, it's kind of like a similar model to like how Yelp brings in revenue. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's not really the best. Um, I couldn't mm-hmm. think of another way to kind of make it so that, you know, there'll be a better way to kind of bring in some cash. I don't think it's, it, it'll be something that'll be really profitable unless you really reach that mass level of adoption. Yeah. And like yeah. everybody's just going to this and then you can really kind of build onto that. Um, but yeah, those are some was, of the early challenges I've, I've seen. I was flirting, or uh, Nate and I were flirting around with a few ideas about what would you do in the automotive space right now? And kind of what we landed on is selling brake pads. If you had a web page that sold brake pads for BMWs and Porsches only, because then it's three part numbers, because mm-hmm. all the GT3s, GT4s, turbos all use the same thing, the BMW M3s all use the same thing. And it's like, it's a renewable, it's expensive, and it's small to ship. And it's like, but then, but then the cost, and then you basically back to like going viral, you have an inherent recurring customer source because Mm -hmm. yeah, every three, three track days, they need more pads. So like, I think we we should consider offline exploring how we uh, merge those things together to exploit that. I mean, that's a good one. See, I like that. That's a lot more simple and easy to get going. Yeah, and it's not a multi-ended business model. Like multi-ended business models are tricky, especially when you separate the revenue source from the customer, like the Yelp model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard because you need to have a big bang to get both sides going together. Right. It's it's really really tricky. It's like how can I? I mean, I, I'm I'm getting too old for for those things out of passion anymore. It's like I need the shortcut. Yeah. That's the, that's the smallest, most expensive thing I can ship as a renewable. Yeah. That's what we want to do. Exactly. So we covered a lot of ground today. We talked about business. We talked about innovation. Talked about technology, entrepreneurship, and strategy. And I want to bring it back to the questions we we always like to close on. And it really comes down to if you can have dinner with yourself at 25 years old or 18 years old, pick one. Like, what, what would you say? What would that conversation look like? And what would you tell yourself coming up? I think the the big thing for me when I think about this question is I would come back to myself. I think I was about 25 when I was starting out with Gamers Grid. Um, and I would really have a conversation right there where I would be like, look, drop everything, learn how to code. Like, just learn how to program. You don't have to be the big, biggest programmer. But if you can learn to build your own things, 
um, that will go a long way. As a founder, I always thought, like, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes, right? I'll, I sold my M4. I moved to the city. You know, I'll do this and that. And, you know, I'll, I'll eat rice and beans. Um, but I always thought, that, like, ah, I don't need to know how to program. And that was like the biggest mistake that I ever that I, that that I've made. I think as a founder, if you want to build something um, that's going to be technical, you need to be able to get to a level that you can build your own prototypes. Um, you mm-hmm. should never be able. You should never rely um, for people to kind of get that going. And um, I started off by hiring kind of a third party development agency, and I should have taken that money instead. I think that was maybe like let's say it was like twenty grand. I should have just quit my job, lived off that 20 grand, went to a boot camp, And then mm-hmm. by the time the boot camp was over, then I would have built out that prototype. And this is something that I could have really worked on top of, or I could have just, you know, got a job as a coder somewhere. Um, but that that's like a really, really big kind of uh, impact point, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in my early 20s. Uh, I think that's a great, great piece of advice because... I think now even getting coding, the basic simple stuff, basic control flow, so people can think through how a program flows. You don't have to, you know, be, be a, you're not creating the next Facebook, you're not creating the next Instagram, but knowing how that flows, if you're gonna be a product manager or you're gonna be in marketing and you know code control flow, it opens your options, it you know, make, creates awareness, it opens some access and it lets you take different action that you didn't know was available um, to even solve a customer's problem. I think it's a huge, yeah. huge thing. And I think it's overlooked. Hopefully more kids get to learn that. I So I eventually, and this was like, you know, t- like <laughs> towards like the end of Gamers Grid, but I did um, take a Udemy class and learn how to program in React Native. And um, I mean, there is just like just doing stuff yourself, like connecting, um, you know, your database to an actual app or connecting a server, looking at like JSON files and actually seeing how things connect, you know, like taking SQL class and figuring out how databases connect. All of a sudden, it kind of just opens up this new world to like everything that you use, like, you know, the menu in a video game is based. It's all SQL. Right. And so, like, yeah. as you see this now, it just opens up a whole new lens. And now you can have, you know, bigger, better ideas for for what you're building as well. Hmm. It's really interesting. It seems like it, you know, by having that technical, at least like working understanding, you were like, oh, I could have done this, this, and this had I known to Derek's point that that was even an option. Didn't even know it was an option because I was relying on other people's knowledge. Exactly. Drive that. That's that's challenging. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head right there. (laughs) Um, The last question I'd like to ask is, you know, I'm always looking for podcast recommendations. I'm a big podcasting nerd or like maybe even books that you're listening to or listening to or reading. Mm -hmm. What you got in your headphones? Um, so it's, I don't know why, but I haven't been listening to podcasts as often now that I have, uh, now that I work from home, I used to always listen to podcasts as my commute. Um, but in regards to books, so I haven't for a while, I stopped reading books and you know why? I think it's because I was reading too many damn business books. I think Mm -hmm. business books kind of like sucked the life out of me when it came to reading (laughs) because it just felt like work. Um, And so I started reading fantasy books. Um, Mm. And so there's i I'm a big fan of Warhammer 40 K, which is like a super nerdy, like uh, sci-fi universe. And uh, there's like a starter book um, that I picked up recently. Let me see. What is it called? If I can find this out. Uh, oh man, 
Uh, but yeah, it's like it's a book which like that has like a lot of different adventures that take place mm. in the year forty thousand. It's like it's a grim, dark, dystopian future. Oh, uh, well, how did I know that was going to be the case? I didn't <laughs> think it would be sunshine and rainbows, huh? <laughs> right? The year forty thousand? <laughs> Heck no! <laughs> <laughs> now is the best time, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I feel like we're living in the best timeline and it's slowly starting to go towards <laughs> not an amazing one. Yeah. Like a lot of these, a lot of these fantasy books or a lot of the um, like dystopian future books, even 1984, things like that. Um, you look at it, it's like, it wasn't supposed to be a how-to manual, but it seems like more and more these people might've been time travelers or something with what they, right. what they wrote. Yeah. Like you start to read stuff and I'm like, oh, this kind of lines up, you know, like. This tracks a little bit. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like you think about in 1984, they have the telescreen. It's a screen that has a camera on it that you have to sit in front of and listen to narrative messages and it's watching you to make sure that you're paying attention. Right. And it's like, uh, it's not too far off. This dude invented the iPad long before any of any of Steve jobs ever, ever took a swing at it. Yeah. So. That's why I don't watch black mirror. Uh, I can't. It's too, no, it's too real. It's too, it's too, too close. close. It's too close to home. Yeah. Exactly. It's too close. It's dangerous. Exactly. Well, Clyde, again, we covered a lot of ground today, man. It was super great to have you on, to hear some more of your story, talk about you know how you came up through your startups, how you came into your current role, what the future might look like, and we're really excited to see where this all goes. Really appreciate you taking the time, and this is going to be a fun one. Thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate hanging out and uh, having you take the time for us. Yeah, I mean, uh, really, really appreciate the opportunity here. Uh, it was great catching up and chatting with you all. Um, yeah, wish, wishing you all the best uh, to both of you and uh, with NanoChomp. And uh, yeah, Derek, I really hope you get that GT4 RS. Don't, don't let me down, man. Please don't. Uh, Take I, one I for the team. I know. There's a lot of people counting on me grabbing it. I've been yeah. watching all the videos on it, and I'm like, yes. maybe it's either that or the GT3. No, no, no. I, I can only have one. No, 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 the GT4 RS, okay? No GT3. It's all right. Everybody that gets a GT3, they end up reselling it because you know what? It's just, yeah. eh, you know, but the RS... RS means race super fast. All right. <laughs> but like, I'll be the, I'll probably be one of the only idiots taking that thing and then throwing it on the racetrack immediately before it has a plate on it and do something stupid to a very rare car. Like I won't be able to, I won't be able to debate or stop that desire. So we'll see. I'm still debating what move I'm going to take, but I've got to make that decision pretty quickly. So it's a good problem to have. I suppose. We're counting on you, Derek. I, I believe you'll make the right decision. <laughs> Whoa. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Clyde. Really thanks, appreciate Clyde. it. Yeah. We'll thanks, Derek. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your day and have a great weekend. You too. You too. All right. Bye.